Hello, and welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. This is a bonus episode that's part of Chris Alexander's main episode, which we released earlier this week. I thought it would be fun to include this, because in this section, Chris and I discuss some of our favorite films over the past year that might have been sort of uh, unseen by general audiences or were unfairly maligned by critics. It's always fun to sort of uh, shoot the breeze with Chris on some of his favorite stuff that's kicking around out there right now. Uh, You know, of course, not just going into the far deep reserves of Chris's boundless knowledge of the genre. And it's sort of fun to look at some of the more mainstream films or the more contemporary films. They might not necessarily seem like they'd be in Chris's wheelhouse. So anyway, I thought it was worthwhile to include this bonus content uh, for everyone to check out. Um, Again, it did seem like it had a, a good fit in the interview proper, which was more of a discussion about Chris's career and both as a filmmaker and as a writer and uh, his work at Fangoria. This this section didn't quite fit there, but it is a lot of fun and uh, and I'm glad we could include it here for you. So I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you on the next episode. So I'm, I'm curious, like what in the past, let's see, let's do a year, do you think was like a movie that for you really worked that maybe didn't for other people that nobody saw? This is a tough question. I don't know. It's it's. It, I'm so in my own rabbit hole when it comes to like what I watch and why I watch it, and it's it's completely alien from the mainstream. Now that said, I go to every, I go to the, the cinema all the time, and I see everything. I do you go to theaters a lot still? I do. Still, yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I used to, in the old days. I used to go to press screenings a lot. Um, right. But I didn't like seeing movies with critics. Uh, mm-hmm. because what happens is it becomes this kind of club, social club, where everyone just kind of sits around. And so they talk about the movie. Maybe they talk themselves out of liking it. Or the opinions, uh, your initial opinion about a picture is swayed by the fact that, A, you got in for free, and B, you're sitting around with a bunch of other people who maybe are a little bit more posturing, a little more caustic. I'm painting with a broad brush to my fellow critics, of course, even though I don't consider myself a critic anymore. For example, uh, the other night, as of this recording, the other night I went to a sneak preview of um, Ari Aster's new movie, Bo Was was Afraid. Uh, Three hours long, juggernaut of a movie, completely maniacal, the most singular mainstream, if you can call it even a mainstream movie, but big budget movie I've maybe ever seen. I think most people will despise it, and I think A24 is going to lose their shirt. But after the movie, it hit me so hard that I had, even though I knew everyone in the room and some of these people I haven't seen in, in a year or more, I bailed. I just you know, I ran out. And I, right. I know that, that, that guy's a rude motherfucker. It's like, no, I just didn't want to talk to you guys. I didn't want to go for a beer afterward. I didn't want to talk about this movie with you because I had to like yeah. metabolize it, you know, and come yeah. up with and formulate my own opinion first that wasn't sullied by, by you. So I bailed on that. So you I don't love talking about movies. Anymore. Is it is it just the critic mo? Like, is it talking specifically to movie critics? Because you love to talk about movies. You and yeah, I, no, I do, say that all the time. I don't like the zeitgeist, and I find like with a lot of film critics, they're always looking over their shoulder to see what the other guy thought of something. Right. Uh, they're always. Is it okay to, for me to like this thing or dislike? Well, especially this thing. in today's kind of like world where everyone wants to be on the winning side. You know, everyone wants to. I'm right. not on Twitter either for that. Everyone wants to have the most likes, and they want to be on the right side of the argument. Um, I think the same thing goes with film criticism, especially today, where nobody wants to be in the minority on, on that level, right? So the popular opinion will always win, and the other guy will... And I've been dealing with that my whole life, I should say that. When I was working for Rue Morgue, I had a column called Schizoid Cinephile, and I was the guy that championed all this weird shit, like Land of the fucking Minotaur, and Werewolves on Wheels, and Nightmare in Wax, and all this stuff that no one's ever heard of and no one liked... And I would always find these, even like John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, movies that were maligned or dismissed or not even acknowledged. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it because I was trying to be hipster or cool. I would do it because I really was raised on this shit and I would always find these superlative moments in them. And I was, I got, I was ghettoized as the guy with the shitty taste in movies. I really was. It's literally what they would say. And of course, years later, all these boutique labels are pumping out the exact same movies that I championed like 20 years ago. Look what's on my wall as you're bringing that up. That looks like a... That's Land of the Minotaur. Yeah, it's on my wall. Uh, you know what? That's playing on the little screen behind me is Land of the Minotaur. That's so funny. And I, I even have the original movie. Crown International Land of the Minotaur poster in my pinball room in the basement. Anyway, I was so half expecting you to say you have like a print of it on film or something. I, would, I wish I did. I, I The closest yeah. I have is the original VHS release of it with that great art and that original Crown poster. 
Yeah. Which I like better than the British version, The Devil's Men, which is the longer, more explicit cut, but I prefer the shorter PG crown. What's version. what's the which poster is the one with the Minotaur with the fire coming out of its nostrils? Yeah, that's Land of the Minotaur. It's the big it looks almost like something like um like almost like a Disney poster or something. It's, it's like an adventure movie kind of Yeah, like an yeah. it's totally misells the movie. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, is, yeah. So, which is why a lot of people come out of there going, huh? But I mean Brian. Well, like, especially because you watch it and you're like, the Minotaur is only ever a statue. He's the- just a stone <laughs> statue, he doesn't do shit. Yeah. But yeah. what's cool about it is the camera zooms into him while that Brian Eno electronic music goes. So it's yeah. it's creepier than any giant minotaur could ever be. And <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> anyways, my point being to dial it back is that I'm usually like on the outside of what the popular opinion is. And it puts me at odds with a lot of the, the mainstream. That's right. just the way it is. And that's not by design. That's by just who I am. And even when I was writing Fangoria, I put weird shit on the cover. Like, Putting Nicolas Cage in the cover and calling him Master Horror, I got destroyed about that. So I go, I do go to the cinema a lot. I go on my own dime, and I, 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 I usually either go by myself, maybe with my girlfriend, whatever, and I watch it because I want to see it. So will you see about, everything, or are you like picky? I, I like all movies, right? So if it like, had, will like, you go to Marvel movies? Well, no, because I don't like them so much. Even my kids, I used to go with my kids, uh, but now they don't like Marvel movies. So. Um, which is not to say I don't think that they're good and they reach their demographic appropriately and and whatever. You know, yeah. What kids are grooving on today, let them guide, let them groove on it because I grooved on shit that I my mom and dad didn't like when I was a kid. So fine. Mm-hmm. I just they don't speak to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll go see them if if I have to. I like Spider Man because when I was a kid, I loved Spider Man so much. To dream of a, a time and place where you would see so much Spider Man and that you could actually see Spider Man effectively spinning his web and flying around buildings. You know, when we were kids, we had the electric company. <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man would like go like this and a fucking fishnet would fall over somebody. <laughs> and you were okay with that. You were happy with that, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. This is Spider-Man. It's a guy in a Spider-Man costume. <laughs> so I'll still go see Spider-Man because I really love Spider-Man. But yeah. uh, by and large, I don't care about Marvel movies. No. Uh, but I'll see everything. Like uh, Babylon um, – was a religious experience to me. Everyone fucking hated Babylon. It was made no money. It was lambasted by the critics. I don't understand why. I think it was marketed wrong. The trailer is awful. It completely missells it. It was everything I want out of fucking the theatrical cinematic experience and more. It was a love letter to cinema. It was buoyant. It was sexual. It was bold. It was messy. Sometimes it was awful. Sometimes it was brilliant. I just fucking alive and I loved it so, so, so much. And I was so upset to see that it, it, it met such a poor fate, uh, critically and commercially. Yeah. I mean, it was a punchline at the Oscars. Holy, you know, yeah, fuck those, fuck that yeah. shit. I hate all that stuff. A punchline. How many years of, and sweat and vision and boldness went into this thing? And then it's a punchline at the, at the celebration of movies, right? At the event that's supposed to celebrate the art and science of motion pictures. It's a fucking punchline. I mean, I hate mm-hmm. that shit. Hate it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we talked a little bit off camera very quickly about Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Uh, a movie that did very well um, commercially, but us horror fans kind of came most by and large came out of it going, not for me. Whereas mm-hmm. I thought it was like just like a really cool, bigger budget exploitation movie with a great sense of humor, but not, not a self-deprecating sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It was in on its own joke, but it played when the horror hit. It played it fucking straight. But I also thought it's like I love that the characters weren't in on the joke. The characters were their characters. They they played. That's what it. I mean. That's what, you know I, mean. what I mean. That's the best horror comedies. Is that you know we yeah. may be laughing at the absurdity of it, but the guys in the predicament on screen aren't laughing because the stakes are high, right? Mm-hmm. Guys climbing that tree, trying to get away from that bear who's high on coke. <laughs> they're not sitting there laughing going, ha, 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 I'm climbing from the bear's iron coat. No, they're climbing for their lives. Yeah, so we yeah. are still uh, you know, in, in lockstep with that character in this movie. So I really dug it on that level. I thought it was really cool to use this really perverse, almost forgotten little bit of accurate history. It's something that really happened to mutate into a kind of magnet to draw these weird characters to the woods. Uh, you know, I just I thought it was just an eccentric, cool movie. I think Elizabeth Banks, it felt like her personality. I, I felt that way too because I remember watching and thinking, I, I I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this actor's name or Alden Alan Reich or something that played Han Solo. He was in he plays kind of this Love Lauren sort of. I loved his character because I was like, you would never see sort of a hero in this kind of movie, and I don't think if it was a male filmmaker, you'd be inclined to see much of this either. 
playing this kind of sweet, down in his luck. He's been dumped by a girl. He's kind of like, and he was, it was such a fun bit of crafting of like, that's our hero. That's our guy. Like, yeah, was there was all these incidental character traits and, and dialogue passages that, yeah. that the average horror fan who came there to see one thing, and that was a bear ripping people apart, would have lost interest in. But for me, that just added interest in, and gave me that level of engagement so that when that weirdness hit, I was on board. Like it hit me yeah. hard, you know, yeah. and it's not a female perspective, but it felt feminine. And by that, I just mean yeah. kind of, it felt like it wasn't the needlessly female perspective suggests like a, a, some kind of agenda with the movie. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean, mean it's yeah, like, it's yeah, not yeah. some pro it's zero agenda in this movie at all. No. Yeah. Zero feminism, zero sociopolitical angle. But I just find by and large women to be, I just, I love women. I was raised by women. I make movies with women. I, I just, I just, I love them and I love their perspective in that they, I don't know. There's a sense of humor and purity. Generally speaking, I'm painting with a broad brush from that comes organically out of the female perspective. That's not posturing. It's more authentic. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. a lot of these, uh, if this was made by a male, it would have been much more sexualized. It would have been a much more muscular it would have been less, wouldn't have had that love Lord dude as your sort of hero, quasi hero. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't have had that. It wouldn't have dovetailed into the perspective of the mother character with her kids. And uh, so I just felt it. The ranger, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah, and, yeah the, the weird, the ranger who was in love with the other ranger. I mean, there, yeah. was just, there was just cool little weird eccentricities in it that made it feel like something completely new to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's yeah. some fucking masterpiece, and I don't think Elizabeth. No, it's just Banks a fucking hell of a lot of fun. Right, it's I don't think she time. set out to make a fucking masterpiece. No. She just set out to make a cool, weird movie that was to see if she could get away with it yeah. <laughs> on her terms. You know, yeah. So I was, a, I was a big fan, big fan. Me too. And the, the, the I mean, this is not a, a quote unquote genre film, but I think it's a crazy out there movie that I have been championing all year. Was uh, and I, I think you said you said the Elvis Baz Luhrmann's movie. Fucking Loved it. I love. So great, yeah, yeah and and, I, and and that's the test. Like, do I still love? That's a theatrical experience. Yeah, will I still love Elvis if I saw it at home on a smaller screen? And the answer is yes, I do. I did, yeah, I did. I love it for different reasons now. I know what to expect. Now it's almost like because Baz Luhrmann intentionally makes movies that are operatic and large and noisy, and I leave on Elvis as background now. Mm -hmm. It's like a song playing on a jukebox now for me. Yeah. I yeah. know all the beats. I know where it lands. And so if I can just hear it, I can visualize what's happening. So I don't necessarily have to be watching it the whole time. And yeah. those are some of my favorite movies. If I can just flip them on in the back and I can just do other shit around them. Yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. they're almost like a, hanging out with a friend. Yeah. Then uh, that's a movie I carry with me. And Elvis, I've had it on the back uh, about 10 times now, I think, you know, so it, it still works for me. It's funny. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine about this. He was like, yeah, but you know, Tom Hanks, I was like, I'm tired of hearing, but Tom Hanks, I don't think Baz Luhrmann, he was like, you know, he doesn't really fit in a biopic. And I was like, it's not a biopic. If you go and expecting a biopic where it's, it's like, biopic, no, no, it's like, it, it's, it's a sort of, I don't know. It's like an Elvis fever dream to me. It's, it's just it's, this yeah, imagery it's a, and sounds it's, flying It's an amped up weird uh, impression of a life. Yeah. In, in a broad comic book, irreverent way. Yeah. With music and sound and veering between modern sensibilities and antiquated sense. I mean, it's, it's an, it's an impression. It's like, um, it's a, a new painting made from an old colors from an old palette. I, I don't know. I mean, and I love Tom Hanks in it. I thought so it I, was fucking weird. He just yeah. added that level of bizarre cool weirdness uh, to it. It almost uh, felt to me like if 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 you if we could see if we could have gotten Elvis's head and saw how the colonel appeared to him, it would be at a certain point this very arch, you yeah. know, Bondian villain almost grotesque. Yeah, and the movie yeah. needed a villain because at at its at its core, that's really what it was about is kind of this this manipulative villain who perverts the course of this man's life. For his because of his own desires and, and need. so we needed we needed this guy. The whole movie's larger than life. None of it's based necessarily in, in reality. It's an impression of reality. And so I think Hanks works really fucking well as an evil nemesis to to Elvis. You know, again, any idiot who walks into this thinking they're seeing the accurate de facto story of Elvis Presley and the Colonel, I mean, <laughs> fuck them yeah. because that's not what this movie's even pretending to be. Okay, no, it's not. No. It's an impression of a life done in a very specific auteur way, you know. And I don't even like Baz Luhrmann's stuff by and large. I don't think I appreciated much of his stuff prior to this. 
But um, this so one, you're not like a big Moulin Rouge fan or something. No, not yeah. not really. And I uh, like I Moulin Rouge. Myself. I didn't like uh, Romeo and Juliet. I didn't like uh, well, maybe Strictly Ballroom. Maybe when it first mm-hmm. came out was kind of fun. You but, know what uh, I like about Baz Luhrmann though? He makes Baz Luhrmann movies. That's well, what this I like is about it. Baz and I think Elvis yeah. made me reappraise that and reassess what I think about him, and now want to actually go back and re-explore with the fresh eyes. Yeah. Like to me, like how important do you think it is for filmmakers to sort of auteur to make the movie they want to make and not cave into too many pressures and tamperings? Like how important do you think that is? I I think there's a balance. There needs to be both Mm -hmm. because if, if everybody was given the green light to do whatever they fucking wanted, then we wouldn't appreciate the auteur anymore. Would we? I mean, we need something. The auteur needs something, someone, something, some system, some infrastructure to push against so that their stuff is memorable. Right. Mm-hmm. You need that. And, and, and again, I'm not pinkies up snob guy. I don't, I wouldn't want every movie to be a fucking auteur movie. I want popcorn movies. I want fun movies that are easily digestible. Uh, you know, I want escapism, you know, I don't need everything to be this kind of singular, weird, uh, internal piece of art. I don't need that. So there's, there's room at the table for all, I think. I think it's interesting too. Cause like, when I talk to you about movies, one of my favorite things about the way that you see movies is, you know, you talk, I talk to a lot of people about movies every day and what people always say things, well, I'm a this kind of guy. I find that impossible to sort of say that about you because as, as much as I might be like, well, you don't like this kind of thing, then you go, no, but I like this. I don't think you've ever decided that you had to be one type of movie watcher. And I think that's fairly unique to you. Or, or because to do that is stupid. I mean, yeah. it really, really is. And I learned that from being stupid. I mean, when I was a kid, I was always into, I mean, I've been myself since I was uh, able to know what Yourself. I was. And that yeah, was like when yeah. I was three, I discovered kiss and horror movies and monsters, the whole story, which I've told a million times, but I did. And I know what I liked, but then when I got into a social level and I wanted to convey that passion to people, sometimes, you know, as we all did loving the stuff that the mainstream did not, sometimes we found our, ourselves hard to fit into the right place. So in mm-hmm. my teenage years I discovered goth right I discovered what goths were I liked that kind of music already because it spoke to the kind of art I liked uh, so that was an easy fit and then it was a matter of trying and the the clothes obviously I like I like black leather a lot uh, and I liked all that shit and skulls and all the, the iconography of it but to actually then put on the uniform and fit in with a bunch of other people and then try it was exactly the same as trying to fit in with the fucking jocks or trying to fit in with any fucking group suddenly there's rules there's parameters put around what how you can express yourself in that case it was what kind of music you liked what kind of art you liked how you wanted to push yourself socially what you wanted to wear and i thought well this is exactly what i was trying to run from you know uh so i abandoned ship on all that shit and i've kind of been banging my own drum ever since and sometimes it gets lonely it's true as you know, when you're sticking to your guns, but then eventually you hit a point in your life where you don't care anymore. You just mm-hmm. do what you like and you like what you like and you don't have guilty pleasures anymore. You just have pleasures and you don't care who gives you the blue check mark or doesn't. It doesn't matter. Uh, so <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the fucking movies, man, I mean, yeah, I like yeah. what I fucking like. And it's hard for me to even have great debates with people because. I'm not here to prove my point. I'm just here to tell you what I loved. The well, other it's thing funny. Is I, I, one yeah, of those well, movies for me this year was like I, I, I when Halloween Ends came out and it, it, there was this hugely like people hated that movie. I liked it. And I didn't even know why I liked it. And the more I tried to intellectualize why did I like this movie, the more I didn't really understand necessarily why I liked that movie. There was so much about it that I understood why people didn't like it that I was like, I probably shouldn't like this movie, and yet I do. And so I just got to a point where people were going, how did you like that movie? And I was like, I just did. Yeah, and I'm kind I, of okay with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like if I was yeah, writing a review or an article. Yourself. You're not, and also it's not like you're trying to defend uh, some sort of racist manifesto or something. This is just a fucking <laughs> movie, you know? Yeah. And it's a movie made by a pretty fucking mainstream guy, and it's got yeah. – I mean, it's, it's, it's a movie out there. It's like, you like it, you don't. I mean, who gives a shit? You don't have to prove it to anybody and there's no shame in liking it. You know, a fandom get, no, fandom, I, fandom is very keen on making you feel shame of what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. I remember I said to a few people who were busting my balls about like it. I was like, well, what would you have preferred? Was it just supposed to be like, 
Jamie Lee, you know, Laurie Strode's fights Michael Myers, and that's how it ends. Like, I was like, we've oh, seen yeah, that. Yeah. We did that, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think the beauty of that movie is I didn't like Halloween, and I didn't like, I mean, I didn't like David Gord Green's Halloween. I didn't like mm-hmm. Halloween Kills, although I had a certain kind of weird pleasure seeing that theatrically. I I, I end, ended up spending money on the D-Box, you know, the moving seats. Yeah. Which is stupid. <laughs> stupid. Because For a slasher you know, film. Have you ever, <laughs> I mean, I saw Kong Skull Island in the D-Box, and it's great. Different, Kong's walking around, different. you're shaking the fucking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in like a movie like Halloween Kills, it's a guy walking down a corridor, and the thing's going... It's like, this is dumb. <laughs> but there's one moment in that where a character, you know, commits suicide. The one guy they think is Myers when jumps up the window, yeah. and he falls out and he bangs on the ground and the fucking seat just goes. And it was just great. It was like one of the greatest theatrical moments of Mike's life. Yeah. Uh, so I gave that one a pass. But what I appreciate about that, those movies is that it's almost like David Gordon Green said, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fan service. Good. Okay. Couple little eccentrics, but fan service. Second one, you want kills? Okay, fan service. Here's all the kills. There's everything. You gore hounds. Third one, fuck off. Let me do what I want to do. Yeah, and he, totally. And what he does is he basically remakes the Nicolas Cage movie he directed called Joe, but as yeah. a slasher movie. And I was like, fucking right. This is this is what makes this this guy interesting, and this is what makes yeah. this series interesting, is that he. To get into the party, he dressed how he should have dressed. He said what he needed to say. And once he was in, he took a big shit on the floor, threw down the mic and left. <laughs> and I love it. I loved in the I loved in Halloween Ends how I, I remember at the theater, this was such a moment for me where, you know, if anyone's listening and seen the movie, you should. I don't know why you're listening to a podcast like this, but anyway, where the the kid gets the ba- he's babysitting the kid, he knocks the fucking kid off the ring, the kid falls down to his death at the floor, and there's no Michael Myers about that opening at all. It's just nothing, like a- but it still is structured like like Halloween, like it still yeah. has that prologue that feels like the beginning of Halloween. It's still the death of a child in a house yeah. up the stairs. I mean, it it has it's very consciously putting us into the vibe of that world, but then showing us. I thought it was fucking ingenious, actually. I loved the opening. And I remember in the theater, people were like, what the fuck? And I had a smile from me. I was like, this is great. He just fucking killed the kid. And it has nothing to do with Michael Myers or Laurie Strode or Loomis or any of these no. tropes that come with this franchise. But I just loved that about it. And, you know, people kept pointing out to me all the reasons it wasn't consistent with part two. And I was like, I don't care. This is part like 12 or whatever this is. I don't care. Consistent. I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. I just... Yeah. You know, I've never been a franchise like, guy anyway, so I like it when people throw the wrench into the system. I, I don't. Don't you think there's a lot to be said for David Gordon Green getting to this one and going, fuck it, I'm going to do something completely yeah, different what I mean. than whatever And how he did yeah. it. I mean, it's. But not outside of the kind of like punk rock, the transgressions of, of how he did it and why he did it, I still think it's a, a neat little psychodrama. I think it's a really yeah. cool little. And it does, people accurately said it plays a lot like John Carpenter's riff on Christine and. It has that vibe. Uh, I just felt felt it was a really great anomaly, and because so many directors so have anomaly. done that too, right? Like for Romero, I think it'd be Martin. For John, it's Christine. Like it has this, and there's something intrinsically. I don't know why I think this. Maybe you'll have a perspective on that. There's something a bit gay about the about Halloween ends to me that I love as a gay guy. About the kind of there's a metaphor in there, but sort of a closetiness to that guy, a bit of a, a, you know, being seen by people around him a certain way, malign, pushed out. There's something about that to me that every time I've only seen it twice down. I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to pursue that. Yeah. But. Well, I, I can see that, but I mean, speaking as someone who's not gay, I still identify with it, not on a gay level, but as just in the level of an outsider, someone. Who's yeah. And outside, I think that's what you're going to bring to it. Depending outside on of the where. norm. And then somebody yeah. or something or some event triggers you to just say, fuck it. Right. And you just mm-hmm. go out there and be, try to become your authentic self for better or for worse. But, you know, so there is that in there for sure. There yeah. is some sort of weird awakening and I can see it being somewhat. I mean, we could really get all Freudian and weird with this, that Michael Myers is in this fucking tunnel and that he has to go venture into the fucking tunnel. Yeah. To get, you know, there maybe is something sexual in there. I don't know. To being taught but, to be a man. You know, maybe it's not even conscious of its own gayness as you say or its sexual component or whatever's there but again the fact that we're even having this conversation is interesting to me because we didn't have that conversation necessarily with the previous ones no right now i mean those ones were really all about kind of laurie strode and halloween and particularly the first one which to me was very fan service not necessarily in a bad way i got why it was but i just loved the kind of 
I don't know, three-headed monster nature of, of ends. And then I was like, it's nothing like what we've seen in this series of movies. He's not trying to do what John did. He's not trying to do what anyone else. He just made whatever it is he wanted to do. Right, and he and doesn't it worked for care. Me. He doesn't care because why? Because they didn't, they made so much money. And at the end of the yeah. day, it's the film industry. They made money. He did it the right way. He founded the money. nest yeah. with fan goodwill. Got everyone excited about it again. Blumhouse is to equally credit with this and to get everybody excited and reinvested in it. And then by the third, he could do what he wanted because they knew that was the end anyways. So you can go out however you want to go out and you know that just by the nature of the investment in the fans, you're still going to make your money. So yeah. they made tons of money and everyone's happy at the end of the day, you know, except yeah, for the know people, people that lie awake at night staring at the ceiling, cursing the fucking fates that that movie exists. Like, shut up. Go watch. Go watch Halloween three again. If you're so sad. I mean, do it. Go. <laughs> I know people who movies, people go who are your, like, go, go get a Shatner mask, turn it inside out, spray paint and make your own Halloween movie in the backyard. I don't care. <laughs> people who are like saying to me now, they're like, oh, I'm so terrified of what he's going to do with the exorcist. I'm like, I'm pumped. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with the exorcist. Like, and, and here's the beauty of it. It's like, what was it? John Steinbeck said it. And then Stephen King paraphrased it when someone said, what do you think about what Hollywood's done to your books. And then he points to the bookcase behind him and he says, what do you mean? There's all my books right there. Yeah. I mean, right. None of these things will ever replace the originals. Halloween still exists. Halloween two exists. The season, the witch exists. The exorcist will still exist. If the exorcist two didn't fucking destroy the exorcist, <laughs> I think we're okay. It still exists. Yeah, I mean, I love the third one. It's one of my, I think it's one of my like favorite. I don't know how many times I've watched the third okay. exorcist over yeah. and over and over. George C. Scott up against Brad right, Dur- yeah. I'm in, yeah, like you've got me. Um, and and uh, to me, but, uh, but people talk about The Exorcist because really it's the first one, maybe the third one, depending on who you talk to. But The Exorcist is not like some franchise full of people knocking it out of the park that people love. Does anyone watch the Rennie Harlan one or the, like, I, I mean, I feel like it kind of. There was two yeah. of them. Remember that? There was. Um, yeah. There was Paul Schrader, I think, did the other Paul one. Paul right? Schrader did the first one. Then they doubled back and reshot the entire fucking movie. I, I know because I was working for Warner Brothers as a publicist at the time. So we had that whole thing where we were excited about it. And then we we're like, what? It's gone. And then it was reshot. And it was, I, was behind, I was there. And uh, then it was the Harlan one came up first, right? I think so. Yeah. And then yeah. a year later, or many months later, we. I don't even know if we put that theater. No, I think we dumped it right to video, right? The I actual think so. original Schrader. I think so, the Paul Schrader one. Both yeah. of them are not very good anyways, regardless, but yeah. It's such an interesting thing. To, I, I mean, I haven't watched them in forever, but I'd be curious now to revisit those two and look, I mean, how different are those two directors, Paul Schrader and Rennie Harlan? Like, it's just... Yeah, I think people have kind of, I don't know, you usually see the same people writing the same essays on all the same sites, uh, defending the same movies that don't need defending, but I don't see a lot of people trying to talk talk, talk about those 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 four those two no i don't versions I don't of the same them, film frankly. yeah uh, but it's yeah. an interesting and they even have experience. different cast too right like since still in scars garden one and i think different? he's the only one that's in both of them he's in both yeah yeah i think he's yeah. the only one otherwise they have different yeah cast. i'd be interested in, in going back and doing a kind of a just pumping them back together and see what i don't even think they're on Blu-ray i think the schrader ones works works better as a mood piece the harlan one is trying to warner was trying to make a horror movie so it was leaning too hard into the horror and neither of them quite gave anybody what they wanted right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean with the, was... uh, with the blumhouse one the uh the, the david gordon green we are bringing back ellen burston too right so i mean there's even that, that alone tissue, yeah adds a certain kind of credibility and, and i think linda blair it. just said she's been asked to do something in it so i don't know if that's did okay. i even... i think i yeah i mean we'll see i'm, I'm curious to see blumhouse is a smart dude i don't ever count him out i just don't He's a smart dude. No, he's I mean, the Roger, I don't love everything he's, he does. He's Roger, he's the new, it's the New World Pictures on a grander, more mainstream level. So it's Roger Corman, what he was doing. He's the uh, heir apparent to what Corman was trying to do, but again, on a more mainstream uh, level. Uh, so, right. you know, I always appreciate Blumhouse, even when I can't stand the films that are released via Blumhouse. Right. What was your what something was your... cool. Like, Blumhouse will always come up with something. Sh- the Fantasy Island riff was yeah. unwatchable, but then something like Ma... You know, with uh, what's her face, uh, Tibia Spencer. Yeah, it was fucking great. Yeah, I loved it. It was just yeah. like a le- weird little filler movie that came out with. I thought it was fucking amazing. I feel like so, nobody saw it. Well, I think they did, but it's yeah. I just I don't know. No one talks about it. At least I've well, never. I, I haven't yeah, mentioned forever in, in the horror circles. I don't think it's viewed. It's embraced necessarily by horror fans, but 
I loved it. Yeah, I thought, I, it, I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic little weird psychodrama. I loved it. It is. It was a, what was your, it was a like, horror hag movie, man. It was like yeah, a big totally. movie. You know, it was like great. Yeah. Bring what them was on. Your, Bring me like, the horror hags, please. If you go back in 2022 and kind of think of the movie, the horror, specifically horror, I know like you bring it, you kind of, you tend to, to put things under the heading of freaky films and I get that. And, but specifically horror, like a proper shredded horror picture. What was your best horror theatrical experience? Over I don't, I don't, honestly, Kevin, I have no fucking idea. No. I really don't because I don't consume so much that I don't know what I saw, when well, I saw. What's one then that pops in your head where you're like, that was great. Cocaine bear. No, because it's listen, it's it's so I'm, it's all blurred, man. I collect <laughs> I collect films too, okay? Like I yeah, collect, yeah, yeah. Right. So if you follow me, you know that I'm. I don't do much that's just for myself. And what I do for myself is I collect and curate, archive sixteen millimeter films. I just I love it, and usually I only screen them for myself, my kids, maybe my girlfriend, maybe. But mostly it's just me alone. That's how I like to consume them, and. I'll buy, you know, I'll search and buy like the, ha- the beautiful hammer horror prints and everything else. But then I'll sometimes roll the dice on movies that I've never heard of. And a lot of times mm-hmm. with 16 mil, you get movies that never even made it to VHS, let alone DVD. And they've completely faded into obscurity. They were, these prints were struck for limited theatrical at their times, or they were struck for television. As Where the fuck do you pop. get a print like that? Where do you get these? You just look, you find, what happens is you just start buying, and then you just let people eBay, know. eBay, or is it more underground well, eBay than to that? start, then you start purchasing, and then what happens is private collectors, there's little groups, and sometimes collectors just come to me now and just say, look, I have all these prints, my dad died, or my grandfather died, and I have this vast, these vast collection of movies, and I'm trying to unload them, and so you just like, ah, Go crazy, and they're—it's not cheap. Uh, but anyways, uh, regardless, I can't remember. You know, I, watching something like the Lost nineteen seventy four made for TV movie, uh, The Phantom of Hollywood, uh, blew my fucking mind. Screening that alone late at <laughs> night. Um, but what's the point of talking about that? Because no one else can comment on that, right? It's just like, well, what are what are some of your most treasured prints that you have? What are some of the ones? Oh that my God. Like I have so many, like I can't even uh, describe like, I, again, I collect hammer horror movies. So I have all these great hammer. I, you know, it's funny. Seen- I had never seen the Drac. Was it Dracula AD? Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were with me when you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never seen it until yeah. on DVD anything. And I'm glad I saw it the way I did. Well, with her there. I mean, it was fucking great. Right. With yeah, Carolyn, who's now been on the show, yeah, I don't and, know, and no, like I noticed that that screening when I screened it at Horror Am on my print. I actually had this fog machine in the other room, and when they're doing the satanic scene, I ran out and I fucking started pumping fog into the room so that there was actually fog in the room while the fog was on the. Anyways, I was, <laughs> you probably, see a lot of people didn't pick up on that I was doing that, but uh, yeah, no. But as far as movies in the theater, Christ, man, I don't remember what horror movies I've seen. Did you see like X in the theater or Pearl? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, Pearl. You... Okay, so Pearl. Yeah, Pearl fucking I loved. I didn't like X. Did not like it at all. But everything I hated about X, I fucking loved about Pearl. Uh, so that was a I'm huge, not shocked. huge one for me. I thought it was gorgeously made, irreverent, intimate, and yet still somehow epic. And uh, Mia Goth was, you know, deserves every bit of, uh, you know, worship, every, every accolade thrown at her. I think she's magnificent, not only in this, but in general. So Pearl was a, yes, that was kind of a little micro. What'd you think of infinity pool then? Didn't see it. You haven't seen it. I'm afraid to watch it. I I know Brandon. We were in the same band together. Uh, Yeah. Obviously friends with his pop to some degree. Uh, But I'll go on record as saying, and I don't like Brandon's movies to date. I didn't like, um, the antiviral at all. And I didn't get why everyone was up the ass of possessor. I didn't gravitate towards that at all. I find he's got these great concepts or a little sort of interesting concepts that are in search of a justification for them to exist as movies. I don't find them interesting. I, I, I don't know, but everything I didn't like about the other ones, I've heard that infinity pool is, is the superior of the, the three perhaps. Uh, have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I think it's better than the other two movies you mentioned. I think that um, I had one friend who who said something. I don't think it's entirely wrong. He said it still feels like this is a director trying to find um, the way to make their movies feel like they're their own thing, and he's just trying everything. And, and I and I 
embrace that. I think directors should try to do that. But I, I almost wonder if he's. It's just going to take maybe a few films for him to find that the timber that he you know wants. Yeah, to I, I, I don't know. In. I mean, just I just with the first two, I found them to be again the idea that I liked con- Possessor more con- than I liked Viral or whatever it was called. I liked it. Yeah, better, Possessor but- had a lot of interesting things in it. It was well shot by Karim Hussain. And well, I'm not saying I can't. I can't go on record as saying it's a bad movie at all. Of course not. When, not what does that even fucking mean? Bad movie. It's all subjective. But for me yeah. personally, they just don't. They don't. Uh, neither of them really works for me. You Mia know, Goth I'll, is great. Well, in, well, you know in, what? I'll in, say in, that about David's last movie too. I didn't like uh, Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future it didn't work for me at all. I found it clunky and kind of cheap looking, and uh, mm-hmm. I not not that interesting. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't dig it. Which is weird because I love all his stuff, but I, you know, I, I actually prefer David these days when he's not venturing into body. I liked I like David when he's doing like Cosmopolis and like I thought yeah. Maps Maps to the Stars was fucking brilliant. love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, and so I found Crimes of the Future is kind of like a sidestep into trying to give back to the his OG fans what. They may yeah. think they've lost when they yeah. haven't lost anything. Everything that's in maps to the maps of the stars and and even a dangerous method. And I find it's the same philosophies, but he's refined them in such a nice way. Uh, yeah, it's the same idea. Like if you look at Shivers, what's it about? It's about an, a biological parasite infecting people and transforming them and creating. Uh, something new out of them. They become sex monsters, sure, but at the end, they're a new race, maybe even a superior race. Mm-hmm. Rabbits kind of operating on the same level. The brood is, just, it's always about the infection, initially a visceral infection of something into the body that transforms it and evolves it for better or for worse into something new. And then later on, it's about ideas that infect a person or a populace and transforms them into something new. That's what a dangerous method is really about, right? So with mm-hmm. Crimes of the Future, I thought, okay, the idea there is sound, but it's the same kind of thing where some of the icky special effects and shit I find kind of eh, clunky. I just think it's funny because when I watch something like, um, oh, Christ, uh, the, the Russian one. What the fuck's it called? I've watched it a thousand times. I love it. Vigo that one? David did. Yeah, oh, the, 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 was, the Eastern Promises was great too. Yeah, I love that. Lo- yeah. Fucking love that movie. I've, yeah. it, 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 David's heart and soul is in that movie to me, and I didn't feel that from Crimes of the Future. It felt like David was doing something that other people wanted him to do, but not necessarily something that he would have come to on his own. I don't know. That felt that that was the vibe I was getting. No, from I, 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 I same way. I felt it was at odds with itself, and it's trying yeah. to be a, be a geek show. But he's also been. It's what happens to a lot of filmmakers of that vintage, I think, once they've been copied so much. They've inspired generations of filmmakers who have taken what they've done and then readapted that to the modern age. And then so when those guys go back to the modern age and try to do what they did before, it doesn't quite work because it's been not outclassed, but it's been photocopied so many times that their stuff doesn't – it feels like it's now influenced by the photocopies, you know? And so it doesn't feel like the same kind of danger anymore. Crimes of the no. Future should have been offensive to me. It should have been dangerous, but I found it incredibly, incredibly safe. So uh, that's a problem when it comes to, to a film like that. Yeah, but again, that's I'm gonna totally throw- fucking totally subjective. Totally subjective. I'm gonna. I, okay, we're gonna try something quick. Before, yeah, this is how we're gonna finish up. I'm gonna throw a few of the movies that came out this year at you. If you've seen them. Quickly just say, you liked it, didn't like it. If yeah, you that's did, the best why or why not? That's the best we'll thing just, to do because we'll I have no memory. None. Yeah, we'll just throw them. You're getting old, man, so I'm going to help you that's out true. here. That's true. I had to write them as, down as, as we're recording, I am actually closer to death than I was when we started recording. So please, go. Maybe not. I don't know. Depends on, you know, okay. if these Cronenberg movies come true. Um, okay, we talked about Pearl. We talked about Barbarian. Loved Barbarian uh, theatrically. Loved the first half of it, especially because I went in blind, did not know where I was going. Uh, I find it becomes kind of castle freaky in the second half and it becomes a little more conventional. I still loved it. Revisiting it a second time, uh, I don't think it has the same, the magic trick doesn't work the second time for me. Uh, it didn't, didn't work as much the second time. I don't think I'll have a need necessarily to revisit it again. Okay. Resurrection. What is that? It's the one with uh, Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. Oh yeah, it? I liked that. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Uh, I don't think it's stuck to his landing, but um, I found the journey to get up to that that landing, that endpoint, fascinating and magnetic. And um, I think she's—I mean, I love Tim Roth, and I love her. Uh, so Isn't she I amazing? Would, 
I was engaged in that film a lot uh, in the same way I was engaged with another film, a British film called Possum. It kept me guessing and kind of like in the dark. And that's that's what I want from a horror movie these days. I want to be I want to be confused and disoriented. And uh, yeah, I want to be Rebecca Hall casts a spell on me and everything I see her in the genre. She's great. And what was the Night House? I mean, she's amazing. Love that. Yeah. 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 yeah, and Tim Roth is like Tim Roth doing villainy. Like, is it just a masterclass? He can do everything the with like best. a little glance. The best. Like, he has that. I'm smarter yeah. than you. You know, the, the British accent adds a lot too. But he's smarter than you. He knows a little bit more than you, and he's a little bit fucking dangerous. He's got a yeah. little dose of Klaus Kinski, that kind of Klaus Kinski arrogance in him. When he madness, arrogant yeah, madness. Like, yeah. This guy is even though he's eloquent. He can. This guy will turn on a dime on you. You have to be very fucking careful around this character. So I, yeah. yeah, he was that was he was great in that movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Nope. Oh, I love Nope. Loved it. A lot of people. That's another one. A lot of people didn't dig. I I think he, that guy. It's become kind of um, in some circles to say you love Jordan Peele is to some people to say that you're saying that because you want to uh, be performatively woke or something like that, which I think is horseshit. Because I think Peele Total horseshit outside remove any Peele's doing it right. Except his Twilight Zone remake, I thought was dog shit. But that's not entirely his fault. Uh, Peel's doing it right. He's making a great film first and foremost. It it functions as a, an accessible thriller, all three of his films, on one level. And then all the subtext is there. It never supersedes the narrative. So if you want the subtext, you, you can find it. If you want to leave the subtext on the table, you can do that too and still enjoy the film. So he's doing it right. Uh, his Candyman remake, which wasn't his, but he obviously produced it. I felt the subtext superseded the narrative, so I didn't dig it as much, you know? Right. Uh, but yeah, Nope, I thought was, if not the best of the three, the most ambitious and, and original uh, of the three. I love the fact that it, I, I adore it. I think it's a blast. I know. I, I just, and it really plays second, third time. I've seen it a bunch of times. I love yeah. the whole concept of how man cannot master nature how we we foolishly try and it's it's like it's almost impossible great characters great characters weird eccentricities weirdness weird structures scary Mm -hmm. when it needs to be like the scene inside the alien i thought was fucking nightmarish Uh, and the whole idea that it you know i teach film history too so to tie it back into the edward moybridge horse experiment and then you know to start with that and then to kind of end with that, as she's snapping pictures like a flip book of the alien's destruction. So she's captured it using film. So it's like literally using film to save the world from destruction. I mean, I just thought it was fucking. Jeff fucking, Wincott was, a, was a, you know, in a tiny part. What a nice a surprise to have him in that. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. it was great. I love, yeah. I love Nope. I'll defend it to the end. I'm, I'm, I love it too. Prey. What do you think of Prey? Do you see Prey? Prey. Prey. No. Predator, the new Predator. The native. Oh, native I started to. I, um, I don't like Predator movies. I don't, I don't find him interesting as a monster. Uh, so I was going into that, excited that this, this was something different. Then somebody called me, I paused the movie, and I never went back to it. So okay. never saw it. Black phone. Loved it. Saw it three times. Saw it once in the theater with my girlfriend, went back with my kids. And then my kids loved it so much. Uh, they I think they've seen it like four or five times now. Um, so it was a big movie for me because it was a big movie for them. I thought it was ingenious in and of itself, but it was that kind of movie that was just hard enough that it engaged them on a certain adult level, but it also, the point of entry was a child, a young person, so they saw themselves in the character, like all those great movies we watched as kids in the 80s, and where young people are always looking for a version of themselves on screen. So mm-hmm. it was a big movie for them. And I loved it. Yeah, I adore it. Yeah, it's just a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's weird. It's a, a friend of mine said, he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, it's funny. It's something we think everybody said it was good, but everybody's already forgetting it. But I was like, I haven't. I think it's great. I think well, they'll, they'll forget about it until it. Yeah. I mean, every movie needs 20 years to become what it's going to become. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Popular or not popular, it hits and then it gets buried in the mix. And then. Right. And then it ends up becoming in. in bronzed as a statue somewhere in a museum i mean that's that <laughs> yeah we worship it i mean will the black phone be that movie i think it's going to be an important movie for a certain demographic so yes i think time will remember the black phone yeah uh what about watcher did you see watcher what is it again remind me who's in it uh micah monroe is the lead it's yeah, very I did see it. yeah didn't, that's i, I, I that's didn't hate closer. it didn't love it didn't uh 
it was to me the equivalent. It had it of, an Argento-esque quality to me at times that I was digging. Um, not in not, not 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 in his Suspiria stuff and some of his more obscure stuff, but yeah. I liked that it. it took its time. I liked that about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. I just thought I don't remember much about it. I you like know, her. I like her. I just found it very kind of Netflixy. Netflixy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mad God Tippett's movie. Never saw it. Can you? Oh, you it? haven't? Nope. I feel like you should see it. I think you. I, will. I think you'll probably like it. I think you like it. Do you like stop motion? I feel like I know the answer to that. Well, I do. I, yeah, I do. But I'm not like. Um, I'm not like. You're not insane. like a Harryhausen. I'm not insane about it, so I'm not like. Um, I, I know what I know what this movie is. I've charted its progress. I'm sure it's magnificent. But uh, it's one of those movies that if I'm not in the right frame of mind and I don't see it in the right environment, I'm I'm kind of loathe to see it. I don't want to give it half attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that's a movie I should have caught theatrically. Let's put it that way. Right. I'm not sure if you'll have seen this movie. But I'm going to take it because uh, this movie is interesting to me. Orphan First Kill. Did you see it? I was going to say back to 2022. Then I thought, did that come out 2021? No, I guess it was 2022. Loved Orphan First Kill. <laughs> yes. The movie that should not have existed and yet does and justifies its fucking existence so well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, without giving away to any of your listeners, watchers who haven't seen it, it does that twist in the middle that I did not see coming. And I uh, appreciate it. But it has rewatchability, too, because it she's does. so great. It's kinky. It's, it's crazy. Weird. It's mad. Yeah, I like it's kinky, totally crazy, crazy, weird shit, right? So yeah, the whole concept behind it. I love the first first one too. Uh, the whole concept behind it is weird, uh, and just it's yeah. I thought Orphan First Kill was a hell of a great surprise. The fact that it was that fucking good. It shouldn't have been any good at all, but it was. It shouldn't <laughs> exist. You yeah, know, the, right. her, and then even the logistics. How do you make a prequel? She's older now. She's the whole yeah. thing is dead. I mean, how do you make a sequel? You make a prequel. But how do you make a prequel? You digitally. Ch- okay, and it worked. It fucking worked. I want to know how that pitch went. Like, I'd love to know how those people pitched that movie. How did well, they, I think like it, it went simply like this Orphan made a lot of money on video, made a lot of money. The guy who owns the rights won't probably for a long time tried to hit the hit the well again or whoever has it and then someone came up with a way to shoot it pretty economically with no big big stars kind of like you know second tier stars and shoot it up in toronto mm-hmm. so it was cheaper uh so it was it was probably on paper it looked like a great idea yeah so it, i can say but, 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 but then again it should have gone right to, to streaming or right the fact that it actually got a bit of a red carpet and was critically acclaimed just to most you know mostly uh was the surprise yeah. What about the menu? Did you see the menu? Loved it. Fine. Saw, saw it like three times. Yeah. No, I I like it as sort of like a a dumb younger brother of like Peter Greenaway's the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Yeah. Right. Very more accessible. That's a, yeah, that's a good that. comparison. I wouldn't have thought of that offhand. But well, yeah, they're both, yeah, yeah, they're both kind of musing on the intricacies and the art of cuisine and and immersing them in a kind of horror environment. Uh, you know. Uh, so. Yeah, I love the menu. I thought it was a great black comedy. And uh, also, and this is an odd thing to say from a horror guy, but because I'm also a, a TV junkie, like a vintage TV and a TV movie junkie, I'm a huge fan of the actress, Judith Light, uh, who was in Who's the Boss? But after that, yeah, of course. Yeah. was a major in the 80s and 90s, was in, like with Joanna Kearns and, you know, early before them, Barbara Eden and Donna Mills and all in a lot of TV movies, movies of the week where they were the leads, uh, you know, they, they kind of had their own little subgenres. and I'm a big fan of those movies. I think Judith Light is a fucking amazing actress. So because she was in these TV movies, we'll never, history will never give her her dues. So we're seeing a cool renaissance of Judith Light. It started, I think with the menu, but if you're a fan of the show poker face, which I'm a huge fucking fan of that show with Natasha Lyon, Mm-hmm. she's in an episode of that too where she just knocks it out of the fucking park so one of the reasons I really loved the menu was to see uh, my lady Judith back on the big screen she's or amazing. maybe back on the big screen maybe for the first time ever that I've seen her on the big screen yeah she's great um, did you see Fresh yes you yes think? I've seen it all mostly but yes I saw Fresh liked it uh, one of those movies that goes down easy no pun intended because it is about eating other people, but um, yeah, not not that memorable. A gr- and, you know, I can't fault it for what it is. Incredibly well made, fun. I think Sebastian Stan really showed everybody. Yeah, what he's, he can do he's that. great. 
Yeah. I, maybe that's the problem with I have a lot with a lot of these kind of Netflixy. When I say Netflixy movies, is they're taking they never feel dangerous. They're always made to kind of like they go down really easy. And they don't mm-hmm. stick with me. So Fresh was really well done. It was hip. It was fun. It was youthful and vibrant and exciting and and great performances and stylish. But um, it was also really, to me, really safe and therefore kind of forgettable. What about Bones and All, speaking of cannibals? Never saw it. Want to. Okay. Love that director. Never saw the movie. Deadstream? Did you see Deadstream? No. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. Um, men? Did you see Men? Loved it. Loved it. Even when I didn't love it, I loved it. I think I liked the build-up more than I did the the ending, but... Um, it's a crazy yeah, ending. The ending is it? fucking insane. <laughs> There's nothing else like that ending I've ever seen on screen. No, no, but I love crazy. Alex Garland. You know, I love Annihilation, I cite, as one of the, the greatest science fiction horror movies of all time. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I loved it. Loved Men. I, just don't know, I don't know if I'll ever watch Men again. You know what I mean? I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Did you see A Wounded Fawn? No. Did you see that's kind of, Smile? Yes. I like Smile. And I like Smile. I like Smile because it was how do I describe it? I mean, why did you like Smile? Why did you dig it? Um, I think it to me was like when you remember when the ring came out and it was like a good cross section. If you were like a hardened horror fan, you could admire the ring for the how beautifully it was shot, and that it, it was it, it kind of seemed to be an entry point for maybe some young people or people newer to the genre that I thought respected the genre and, and, and I still could dig it. And Smile felt like that too. I was like, this director loves horror, but he's made something here that is an entry point for younger people, maybe who who are getting, you know, it's 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 safe, but not too safe. It's scary, but not too, too scary. It's gory, but not too, too gory. I don't know. Just it, it, it felt caring about the genre it was working in without being constantly trying to outdo itself or other horror movies. It just, and I thought it had some great creepy little moments. There's some parts there I was like, cool, that works. I like the actors. Um, I just, and I saw it in, you'll attest to why this matters, Chris. I saw it in a full theater of people, full, packed. And the audience fucking ate it up. They were screaming and laughing and smiling. And they had a, and everyone walking out the theater was like, that was great. And I was like, I, you know, there's something about that to me that when a horror movie lands like that, where I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get out of the way. Yeah, no, nobody wants to go on the roller coaster alone. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, right. But, but I, there's no point in me commenting because you nailed everything I loved about it. And the other thing is that, you know, and, and the, 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 the sheer unpretentious nature of it. Yeah. And, and the way that it didn't, pander to and nudging and winking and making jokes or making light of the, the, the movie, but people would still laugh at it because that's what we do to release that anxiety when we experience horror. Yeah. Right? So you don't need to make jokes because we're going to laugh anyways. You don't have to get there first to show that you're smarter than us. And, and, yeah. and, I, and I appreciated that so much about this movie. And you're right. There are a few moments like I can't without spoiling at the end of the film, the climax. Yeah. When that creature that, whatever it is representing whatever that is from her past, her mother um, is coming towards her. And then she leaves the cabin, but for reasons that we won't explain, goes back in. And the thing is still coming towards her at the same gate, almost like it was paused. And as soon as she opens the door, it unpauses and keeps advancing was ripped right out of my deepest kind of darkest Freudian nightmare. Like yeah. I thought it was, it was, I used to have night terrors as a kid. And when I woke up, I never could articulate what I had experienced. And that made me more terrified because I couldn't yeah. name or put shape to this thing. I And that's kind of what that was captured at the end of that movie. Well, I think the, the thing that was smile for me that like, uh, uh, you know, I had some buddies who, really hated on it and they were like oh it's just a box office kid all the money it made it i was like first of all i'm always happy when a genre picture kills the box office uh, if you're not pleased about that you're kind of a, a dickhead so to me it's like it's through and through it's a it's a horror film but i was like i don't know you know for what some people might have thought of as like an entry point horror or whatever i was like there was parts in that movie that legit for me had an unsettling creepy vibe that that affected me more so than some of the hardcore quote-unquote horror movies that i was supposed to feel that way about that i saw last year it made a bigger impression on me. No offense to the film than something like Terrifier Two did that I just didn't connect to. Um, oh, me, me too. In- infinitely, infinitely. It's a much more sophisticated thing. Um, you know, I don't think Terrifier Two was aiming for anything else, but that that it was. So I guess it was successful on its own terms. It just wasn't what I was looking for. Uh, you know, I just and I when I was a kid, I, I was looking for gore because gore was new. Mm-hmm. And gore was also forbidden. 
So we had right. to really search to find, you know, the unrated version of this or the, you know, you looked and you would be, it was a fucking mission. Yeah. And nowadays it's handed to us on a silver bloody platter. So the, the thrill yeah. is gone. You know, there's no, there's no danger. Yeah. There's no danger anymore. So Terrifier 2 for all its nastiness felt very juvenile and safe to me because I've seen that shit before. And so has yeah. your eight year old fucking kid because that's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking, they go into Spirit Halloween yeah. and the fucking shit that they see hanging on the racks is scarier than what you see in, and gorier than what you see in Terrifier too. So what's the fucking who cares? Yeah, when I was a yeah, kid, I never wanted to be a special effects artist. And in Toronto, trying to find fake blood, I you know you had to special order fake blood, and it yeah. would cost you yeah. a fucking fortune just to get fake blood. Unless it was Halloween, then maybe you could buy those kits that had fake blood in it. But it those little like, tubes, tiny little tubes. It wasn't tubes. like fake yeah. blood was everywhere. Now it's like you can get fake blood. So. Everyone, anyways, my point is, is that Terrifier 2 didn't work for me either uh, because yeah. I've been there and I've done that and it wasn't done in any kind of interesting way for me. Right, right. You know, yeah. it's it's funny because, you know, we look at sort of capping off 2022. It's funny. I had this great experience in 2022 where I, Louis Teague was coming on the show and they released this beautiful, lavish edition of Alligator, which had been buried for so long. And, mm-hmm. and, and I went back and watched that movie. I adore that movie because... Uh, super, super John Sales, man. I mean, it's super clever. Yeah. Robert Forster is so fucking delightful. So now. good at that. And that's what I miss uh, in a lot of the genre pictures that I go to now that I love about movies of that time, maybe. And there are, they are still making them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to do that thing of like, they, the yeah, kids yeah, yeah. these days don't know how Back to make a horror picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. But watching someone like Forrester in that movie who gets this whack, and I think that's what tying in is something like Cocaine Bear. Exactly. Some of those characters reminded me of what Forrester does in right. Alligator. All the, I mean, what's the greatest thing that Forrester does in Alligator? What do you think it is? What would you the say? Hair the, the hair stuff. The hair stuff. And then he all yeah. brought to the table because he was losing his hair. So yeah. Yeah. it's like that kind of self-deprecating, organic, of the moment, character note that is not just a reference, but actually carries through the movie. It's it's a character in and of itself, that little reference. That yeah. makes you identify with the character, makes you humanize with the character more, makes you like this guy more, was absolutely all over. Cocaine Bear was like the heir apparent to Alligator in many respects. Yeah, I totally, I think yeah. that's, that's, I... Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. It's a perfect kind of jumping point for me. It was like, and, and I figured that out that, and maybe this is something that happens as you get older. I don't know, but but I I I find I'll see a horror movie now, and and it can have all the cool gore and set pieces stuff like that. But if there isn't at least one character I can really hook into, it doesn't leave much of an imprint on me. I need something from the 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 people in the movie have to give me something for it to stay with me on some level. Now, of course, there's exceptions. There's movies that like. You know, we talked about sort of fever dream movies, like, but even you know, watch Elvis. I I challenge anyone to say Austin Butler's performance in that movie is fucking phenomenal. It was it's a brilliant performance and yeah, it stays yeah, with yeah. you. And- no, no, I mean when it comes to the genre, yeah, it's like I I I don't eat the same meal with the same expectations every time. I go in right, but I but I like to know what I'm gonna get. And yeah, yeah. I mean, character based films, narrative driven uh, films that are connecting point A to point B to point C. You need some sort of glue that's going to keep all that together and some reason yeah. to stick with it uh movies that are purely i mean I, let's face it i mean purely visual or sensory based don't necessarily need that at all if you're no, going to don't. have that kind of immersive experience you know suspiria to me is a masterpiece uh, until people talk you know right <laughs> i mean i don't watch that movie because i'm particularly invested in jessica harper's character at all she's mm. the device to take us through the set pieces but I'm watching it for the set pieces. I'm watching it and listening to it for the music and, and mm-hmm. to have that immersive experience. When Udo Kier starts talking about, oh, here's the Book of Witches and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I go out for a smoke. I mean, that's yeah, not yeah. the good stuff. So you yeah. go in with different expectations depending on what you're looking for at that period from, and what you yeah. want from the movie. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I guess it's it's funny because you think of like, did you see uh, Luca Guadino's remake of Suspiria? Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. But very different. A very different totally movie different. with very in, different in, intentions. and In name only, uh, but um, but it, yes, different intentions, but the same intentions in the sense that they're trying to create this kind of immersive nightmare world. Uh, yeah. Audiovisual nightmare world, you know, uh, based around yeah. this idea of this kind of cult of, of, of evil women. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great, weird companion to the original. Didn't overtake it, didn't replace it. It's just a weird vision, like a dream of the original. Or is the original any- dream of this? I don't know. Let's get cosmic. Yeah. 
Are there any particular movies on the horizon now that you're excited about? Anything no. that you're kind of like, no? No, not, not really. What comes? I mean, there's so many fucking movies to watch. Uh, this is such a backlog, and there's movies everywhere, movies I haven't seen, 100 years worth of cinema that I'm just discovering and searching for. And uh, So what's happening at the local theater? Um, I'm not as plugged into that. Um, and I don't get fucking super excited about movies because I don't, want to be let down like it's like okay, mm-hmm. when they come they come and we'll see what happens i mean i do want to see evil dead rise mm-hmm. i like i like the uh i like the vibe of the trailer i like 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 where it's going i like the uh mm-hmm. i like domestic horror so i like taking the evil dead story and throwing it into a weird malevolent mother story uh i'm into that so yeah i think i'll, I think I'll have a good time with that one whether or not it sticks to my ribs i, I have no idea but I'm kind of looking forward to sitting back with a bucket of popcorn in the theater and watching some weirdness, some bloody weird domestic Necronomicon fueled horror. Yeah. Now, when you were on the show previously, you didn't have this coming, but you've got a book coming that looks fucking great. Yeah. My hero, Roger Corman, who just as as of this recording, it's his 97th birthday today. Uh, and he's in Hawaii. Crazy. He's making three fucking movies. And what are you doing with your life? Listeners? Yeah. <laughs> So he, uh, I, I wrote a book uh, based on like 20 years of conversations with him about my favorite movies probably are the eight movies he made, the Roger, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe films, the Poe cycle. House of Usher, Pit in the Pendulum, Premature Burial, uh, Tales of Terror, uh, Haunted Palace, Tomb of Ligeia, Mask of the Red Death, The Raven. Uh, so my favorites took my whole life. And I ended up becoming friends with Roger through the years. And we've had these incredible conversations, sometimes in print, sometimes not. I discovered an old hard drive with tons of interviews. And so I came up with the idea, I got to put these in some form and a way together to kind of chronicle the making of these Poe movies. But how do I do it? I come, well, can we put it in a book form. And then the pandemic hits and I'm like, oh shit, well, now's the time to do it. I called up Roger. Roger says, sure, he'll play ball. And so we had all these great conversations through the pandemic to flesh it out and and uh, I wrote what is, to my knowledge, the only book ever to exclusively, not the first book to talk about these movies, my God, they've been talked about ad nauseum, but the first book to exclusively chronicle the making of these films using Roger only, so it's a director's book, and focusing only on those eight pictures, that's it. So it's, it's interviews, extensive interviews with Roger about the making of these movies, as well as like really deep cut analysis by me, who've you know been worshiping these pictures since I was a baby, uh, and talking about my own experiences with them as well. So it's an interesting little book. And it comes out June sixth. You can pre-order it now. It's called Corman Poe, and um, you know, kind of a loose nod to um, Hitchcock Truffaut. You know, slash. It's not Corman Alexander. I wouldn't ever do something so arrogant. It's Corman Poe. So it's these. <laughs> This guy and this guy, and these are the movies that came out, and let's hear him talk about it. So that's it. Yeah. And you got a new movie coming out. Sure. I always have a movie coming out because I make them like, I crank them out like sausages. Yeah. You, you, uh, didn't you tell Paris, me before this you made it in like a day? Two days, but 15 hours. Yeah. That's crazy. Now that is wow. di- not discounting all the pre-production that went into it, the building of the coffin and the, all this crazy shit. But when it came down to actually getting everyone together, turning the lights on and saying, go, yeah, I don't fuck around with this, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, it's always fun to have you on here. It gives me an excuse also to just catch up with you. I adore you. Yeah. You're the best. Thank you for doing this again. Pleasure. And uh, I promise it won't take a year to get your next uh, interview up. As long as it doesn't that. take a year and this is like additional footage to this. By the time I got this interview comes out, I'm going to be like 82 and we're going to see this great arc of a man's life and death. It's going to be quite it. You could do it. Well, that's what I'm stage. actually doing. I'm secret, just chronologically. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of. Oh, I see. I'm your biographer. I've, I'm incognito. Ah, okay. Going to be checking in with you for an episode. And it's just, you know. Well done. Well played. Well, you don't well, know yet. I like you so much. I'll always say yes. So well played. Yes. yes. And one of these days we're going to. I. So this is a little tease when we get a chance. We're going to just sit here and talk about Dawn of the Dead soon at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I keep wanting to do that. Yeah, I'm actually putting Dawn of the Dead on the cover of Delirium uh, soon. And I'm talking to Galen Ross because I want, I love women. And I think Fran is um, you know, one, one of the greats. One of the main reasons I love, keep coming back to Dawn. I think she's, I mean, that character, as far as strong female 
females in in the genre. I think she's way that character's way. George is way ahead of his time. Sculpting. Oh my god, it's a brilliant and performance. Ross is so fucking, she should have done more. As she's a brilliant director, but she should have done more as an actor because I think she's fucking magnificent in that. What was that? And, Mad Men, isn't that the slasher flick she did way back? Yeah, then? yeah, and she gets naked in that and everything too, which is great. She's beautiful. But I love that movie. It's so yeah. stupid and great. <laughs> no, Mad Men's great. And then she kind of let, dropped the mic after Creep Show with the the coming to get you segment. Yeah, I'm gonna get you. Uh, what do you call that one with Ted dancing at the buried alive? Oh my god! Yeah, with with Ted and and Leslie Nielsen. Up, but no, something to tide you over. Something to tide you over. <laughs> yes. Okay. So anyway, she's great in that for the moment we see her. So I figured I'm gonna have talked to everybody already. I've never really talked to Galen Ross. I met her at George's funeral. You haven't? No, I met her at George's oh, funeral for huh. the first time. We didn't exactly sit and talk about movies right no but so now it's time and so i'm I just surprised that's not someone you've sat in a room with before and and no you're such never, a have, fan. never have and so i i, I want to put her i want to basically i want to sneak her as the cover story interview but i could never get away with that by saying i'm putting uh, galen ross in the cover so it's instead dawn of the dead from the eyes of galen ross and then we can get into the, her career as a documentary filmmaker too and because she's an interesting human being yeah that's uh, awesome and i just love i just yeah i mean i think fran is I honestly think you think before Fran and Dawn of the Dead, was there a woman as resourceful, strong, who had to really punch her way to the top of the boys club in a horror film? I mean, no, not no, not like that. Dawn Dawn was a year prior to Ripley and Alien. Yeah. And uh, Ripley's always kind of credited Sigourney Weaver as being that kind of like boys club taking control and being the fucking hero. And Fran is the hero of Dawn of the Dead. 100%. And yeah. I love, you know, there's so many great moments of that, of like sort of the domestic domestic stuff with her. And, oh, love uh, it. Love yeah, it. I mean, it's it's yeah, all. We'll get it. Let's do a show on Dawn and then we'll talk all about that. There's so much to talk about. I know. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thank you, my man. <laughs>